Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a legal podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Jordan Rubin. And I'm Kimberly Robinson. This episode, we'll be taking a deep dive into the big census argument that's going to be argued at the Supreme Court April 23rd, and we're going to be having a special guest with us, Oklahoma Solicitor General Mithin Monsingani. First, Kimberly and I are going to break down what's actually happening in the census case to give you guys some background on it. So, Kimberly, can you get us up to speed? What's happening in this big census case? Well, just first, a little procedural note is that this is going to be one of three cases that the Supreme Court is going to hear on April 23rd. The court had already set arguments in two cases, and then the census case came to the court, and it's on a deadline. And so they added it to the schedule for April. But they did something a little weird. You know, normally when they have three cases, they argue the first one at 10, the second at 11, and then they'll take a little lunch break and then they'll come back at one. Right. This time around, they decided to argue the census case at 10 and then take a two-hour break and they're just going to push both of the cases for the day into the afternoon. So it'll be a long day at the court. Not for me because I'll be covering the census stuff, but for you. I'm going to sleep in and just roll in in the afternoon and do the criminal cases that no one's watching that day. Uh, Well, good luck with that. All right. So what's happening in the actual big case that day, the census case? Well, I think uh, it would be useful to kind of take a step back and to talk a little bit about what the census is. What even is the census? What is the census? Like, really? What is it? (laughs) Well, the census, if we can go back to like sixth grade social studies, is required by the Constitution um, to be conducted every 10 years. And importantly, it requires that every person be counted. And so that includes people who entered the country legally or illegally or are citizens or have some kind of legal status or not. So every person must be counted under the Constitution. And the census is important not just because it kind of allocates how many representatives each state gets, but it's also used by states to draw voting districts. And Mm -hmm. perhaps importantly for many of the states involved here, it also is used to allocate um, hundreds of billions of dollars in federal funds. So the stakes are pretty high with each census, in part because uh, there's no do-over. So you do a census, and those are the numbers that you get. And so that's why there's this the big fight is over what's going to be on the census, Um, and, and in particular, whether or not Uh, the 2020 census is going to ask whether or not the person is a citizen and um, whether or not they have legal status in the United States. Okay. And so what's the, so the census is a big deal. We get that happens once every 10 years. I'm kind of a big deal. Yes. We already knew that. You're a big deal. The (laughs) census is a big deal. Uh, I'm simply the co-host here. Um, but so what's the big deal about asking about citizenship? What's the problem with that? Well, the Trump administration would say there's no problem with that. And they point out that the citizenship question was actually asked on the census uh, for about 130 years, almost unbroken, with just one exception. And that even since that time, the Department of Commerce, which runs the census, has asked about citizenship on other questionnaires that it sends out. So either a really long form census that doesn't go to everyone or most recently in what's known as the American American Community Survey, which you probably will hear more about in this episode. The thing is, is that since 1950, the Department of Commerce has consistently advised against um, reintroducing the citizenship question on the census form that goes to all individuals in the United States. And that's because they say that 
it will depress response rates for communities that might fear retaliation. Now, I think it's important to note that uh, federal law actually prohibits uh, the Department of Commerce from sharing this information with other parts of the government in a way that could personally identify someone. And so this is really kind of an unfounded fear. But it's not like everybody knows the intricacies of what the census is about and what federal law requires. I guess the thing, though, right, is that, okay, yes, it's illegal for the government to use this data negatively towards a person who's a a non-citizen. But I guess sort of the, the catch there is that you're asking people who have perhaps reason not to trust the government anyway Mm -hmm. to do the right thing with this information. And so you're saying, just trust us. And they would say, well, we don't because of X, Y, and Z things that we've we've seen you guys been doing lately. That's exactly right. And I mean, I think, you know, it's not just, uh, as you said, doing the right thing with the census and answering these questions. These questions are actually required by law to be answered. So that's kind of the the background um, of the citizenship question. In March 2018, Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross actually announced that the Trump administration would be adding a citizenship question to the 2020 census. And they said it was being done at the request of the Department of Justice, who had asked um, that the citizenship question be added so that it could get more complete data in order to assist the DOJ to enforce the Voting Rights Act. Okay. And so what does that what does the Voting Rights Act have to do with that data? Well, Secretary Ross and the DOJ have said that it will allow them to get deeper information on what's known as CVAP, that is citizen voting age population. And that's really the relevant matrix for determining whether or not a minority group has enough power to elect its candidates of choice. Um, And so when you're talking about the census, you know, everybody matters uh, in that regard. Everybody gets counted. But with voting, of course, uh, you can only vote if you're a citizen. And so it's important to count the correct people for Voting Rights Act purposes. Okay. Um, so the theory goes, and I'll talk more about that later. But almost almost immediately after Secretary Ross announced the decision to add the citizenship question, the Department of Commerce was sued. Um, here we have 18 states plus the District of Columbia, um, many cities and counties, and many other groups um, who are suing the Trump administration. And there's really um, kind of three different theories under which they're attacking it. One is a statutory one under the Administrative Procedure Act. And then the other two are constitutional when they say that the addition of the citizenship question was done with a discriminatory purpose. That is to um, bring down the count of minority groups, thus affecting you know, their apportionment of representatives, um, possibly how their district lines are drawn and maybe even less federal money. And then the final issue, the constitutional issue, is an actual enumeration issue that's kind of novel and the idea being that the Constitution requires that every person be counted. Right. And so that you can't, you know, do a method of counting people that you know is not going to count everyone. Um, so those are kind of the three ways that the plaintiffs have attacked this citizenship question. And as I mentioned, this is all proceeding on a deadline because, you know, the questions for the census really need to be finalized by June. OK. And so that's why the Supreme Court sort of needed to cram this argument in this term. But, you know, maybe we could briefly talk about how we got to the point proceeding procedurally in the Supreme Court of getting to a point where we have this argument coming up sort of on short time. Yeah. So, I mean, court watchers may recall that the Supreme Court originally agreed to hear this case. I think it was in February. Right. Um, And it was the census dispute, but it wasn't on the merits. Instead, they had agreed to hear a, a discovery dispute. And in particular, whether or not 
the parties could depose Wilbur Ross Mm -hmm. um, for his reasons for for adding the citizenship question. Uh, But the lower courts, you know, kind of proceeding on this quick timeline, went ahead. The court had said, yes, you could depose Wilbur Ross, but the Supreme Court um, actually stayed that deposition while they considered the issue. Mm -hmm. And the lower court said, you know, we're running out of time. So we're just going to go forward and we're going to go on without the Ross deposition. And it said even without that deposition, it ruled against the Trump administration and said they couldn't add this to the census. And um, one of the big issues, and I think one thing that we'll be hearing a lot about in argument is this evidence of why the citizenship question was actually added. So you recall that Secretary Ross said that it was at the request of the Department of Justice. But actually, in discovery, it came out that actually Secretary Ross had been considering this issue for a long time Mm. before the Department of Justice kind of made the request. And he had spoken with people um, in the Trump administration, in the White House, um, spoke with Steve Bannon early on, shortly after he was confirmed, and that the Department of Commerce actually lobbied the DOJ and other agencies to try to get them to formally request that the citizenship question be added. So that's that's an issue that's lingering in the background. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll t- discuss how the court's going to deal with that a little later. But it's just something to note. Yeah. will kind of be playing, I think, on the justices' minds. OK. And so that was initially going to be argued on the the evidence question in February, right? And so then they wind up taking that question off, and then now we're back. On the merits. Okay. So we're doing it for real. We're going to do it it live. And, you know, even after the Supreme Court decides uh, this case, I think there'll still be some follow-up in Congress who is itself looking at um, that issue I discussed with Secretary Ross because he testified to Congress and now they're investigating whether or not he his testimony was false. The week that we're recording this, actually, the House issued some subpoenas. And so right. that's going to be an ongoing issue. All right. So I think we'll leave it at that for now. And let's turn to our guest and see what he has to say about all of this. And we're pleased to have on Cases and Controversies, Oklahoma Solicitor General Mithin Mansinghani. Thanks for joining us on Cases and Controversies. Happy to be here. So um, you wrote an amicus brief on behalf of uh, several states. And I think before we jump into the merits, we were kind of interested in whether or not you could tell us how a brief like that comes together. How, how do you get um, such a large coalition of states to work together and to actually file just one thing? Sure. podcast, Jordan was wondering if you guys had like a an SG text chain going on. Is that is that what you're telling us happens? You guys just 
Uh, well, it's <laughs> usually done through email. Right. Um, we do not have a, a SG group text message. Uh, that would be fun. But you also have to realize that uh, all of our offices are subject to Open Records Act or FOIA requirements. So uh, we, we keep things like text messages to a minimum and try to use uh, official channels. In addition to that, you know, e- e- emails are <laughs> easier ways to send documents and things like that. Well, in our heads, we're just going to picture this all coming together on text chain, if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, lots of emojis are sent. <laughs> So I guess, um, you know, I guess we can jump into the merits of the case, you know, and and I was really just wondering, there are really three questions that the Supreme Court has asked the parties to brief. And if you could just kind of um, briefly tell us what the issues are, and then we can jump into them a little more in depth as we go on. Sure. So the, I would say, primary issue in front of the court is whether the Secretary of Commerce's decision to add a or re-add the citizenship question to the 2020 census violated the Administrative Procedures Act for either being not in accordance with statutory law or an act that was arbitrary and capricious. But in addition to those questions, there's also questions about whether the court, the Southern District of New York, erred by authorizing discovery beyond what is called the administrative record. Normally, in administrative challenges like this, the record, the facts of the case is limited to the uh, material that was presented and considered by the agency, and the court below allowed additional discovery in the form of depositions Mm -hmm. of of high government officials, uh, as well as other testimony uh, beyond that, which is um, quite unusual, but not completely unheard of. And then the last question, which was added um, somewhat late because of a decision in uh, California District Court, was whether the addition of the citizenship question violated the enumeration clause of the uh, Constitution. That claim was thrown out by the Southern District of New York on a motion to dismiss, Mm -hmm. but was uh, accepted as valid and ruled upon by the California court. And since the census has to be more or less uh, determined by June because uh, they need to start uh, printing forms and things like that for 2020, the Supreme Court decided to add that question to the question that's being uh, going to be argued this month. And so then uh, your brief, which supports the Trump administration's position here, uh, what would you say is sort of the main takeaway argument that you sort of want to convince the justices of in, in your brief? I think there's three things. The first is that the census citizenship question has a long historical pedigree, not just in the United States, but going back to you know ancient Athens and ancient Rome. And it's been asked in the, in the United States uh, in census after census. I think the majority of censuses have asked uh, in one form or another about citizenship, such that uh, Americans throughout history have been asked citizenship question over a billion times. The second thing would be that this would actually provide useful information to the state in complying with the Voting Rights Act. Under the Supreme Court's decisions in cases, for example, like Lulac v. Perry, they have interpreted Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act to require states to draw what are called majority-minority districts, mm-hmm. where minority communities have the opportunity to elect the candidate of their choice. Well, certain minority communities, for example, Hispanic communities, have high proportions of non-citizens in their communities. And so as a result, in order to properly draw a district where that minority community actually has the opportunity to elect 
the candidate of their choice, you need to know how many citizens of that minority community are in the district because obviously non-citizens cannot vote. And so mm-hmm. uh, without accurate citizenship information, drawing these districts become more difficult and it and it mires the state in litigation over uh, whether or not these districts were properly drawn, drawn when you have uh, poor quality citizenship data. Mm-hmm. And then I think the last thing uh, that we wanted the, the court to understand was that citizenship data is strongly protected by law. It cannot be legally or practically used by law enforcement to, for example, find illegal immigrants Mm -hmm. and to deport them. But rather, uh, the law requires everybody to accurately respond to the census. And if you look at the information that was provided to the secretary in his decision-making decision process, there was really no good information that a citizenship question would meaningfully decrease uh, the response rate to the census in a way that couldn't be ameliorated and that allegations that uh, the census citizenship question will, with any degree of certainty, cause millions of people not to respond to the census, which is not borne out by the data presented to the secretary. So a a couple of follow-up questions. The Southern District of New York's opinion is quite detailed, and they go into a lot of factual issues in the case. And one question for me is how the Supreme Court is going to address these kind of factual problems and whether or not they should be relevant. And so you were discussing kind of the information that can come out of this citizenship question. And the Southern District of New York um, kind of laid out that the Department of Commerce had initially provided some other methods that could potentially be better, um, provide better information, but certainly would be significantly cheaper. So I'm just wondering, what is the Supreme Court going to do with um, those kinds of factual disputes? What should they do with it? Sure. Um, well, the factual disputes in, a, in an APA case oftentimes turn on whether or not the agency's decision in viewing those facts was arbitrary and capricious, right? So the district court itself was reviewing factual issues that were reviewed by the secretary who made a determination. And so the, the Supreme Court's job is to determine whether the district court is right in labeling the secretary's view of those factual issues and determination of those factual issues as arbitrary. And with that in mind, things like whether or not the secretary was correct Mm -hmm. in deciding to choose the method he did as opposed to alternative methods, obviously our view is that the secretary was not incorrect in doing so. So the primary argument on this score was that the um, Census Bureau could use administrative records, uh, stuff like... um, you know, people's social security uh, records and things like that. And that they're they're actually required to, right? I mean, that that was the argument. That the law requires them to use that first before turning to asking about citizenship. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what the secretary determined was that those records, there's significant gaps in those records for about over 30 million people. And that the combination of using those records with a citizenship question would yield to better data than using either of those two methods alone. Mm-hmm. And so I guess the question for the Supreme Court is whether or not, you know, the secretary acted in kind of a reasonable way when in the exactly. that, Yeah. I have a question about the historical pedigree point that you mentioned in terms of the citizen question having being asked a billion times, you know, say that it even had been asked a trillion times or a zillion times. The fact is it hasn't been asked on the census in recent years, whether it's 60 years or 70 years, whatever the, the number is. Can you speak a little bit as to why it might not have been asked in, in recent years if Listeners are wondering about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I will not say 
I will not claim to be an exact expert on this, but let me at least give you my impression. Sure. Mm-hmm. So it was asked more or less continuously from 1820 to 1950. After 1950, there were some historically low levels of immigration, and it was not asked on the 1960 census. But then starting in the 1970 census, up and through the 2000 census, it was asked on what was called the long-form census. So the long-form census was the census form that was sent to about one in six households. So it was the actual census form that a decent proportion of the population answered. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was asked to about one in six households from 1970 to 2000. Now, starting in 2005, the Census Bureau started to create a new survey called the American Community Survey, which is asked to about one in 36 households on a rolling basis every year. So not not one in 32 every year, but you know, uh, on a rolling basis. And uh, because the American Community Survey contained a lot of the questions on the long-form census, including the citizenship question, starting in 2010, for the first time, the uh, Census Bureau dropped the long-form census and only started asking on the short-form census. You know, the census not containing in one form or another the citizenship question is actually a somewhat new phenomenon. Hmm. It's interesting that you brought up the American Community Survey. And I, I, I noted that you talked about this. You wrote a symposium entry for SCOTUS blog on this case where you talked about, and and you mentioned here in this podcast, that there's no evidence um, that would actually decrease the response rates by adding the citizenship question to the actual census. Um, But there is some evidence that the response rates to the ACS is lower. Why isn't that a good proxy for the lower response rates on the citizenship, on the census form? Sure. So the ACS response rates are lower than the uh, census que- uh, the census response mm-hmm. rates. But just because one of the differences between the two surveys is the inclusion of a citizenship question doesn't mean that those lower response rates are uh, completely or at all explained by uh, the citizenship question itself. So mm-hmm. the ACS is a much longer survey. It contains 50, 60 questions as opposed to the census containing only about 10. Mm-hmm. And so the the length of the survey may be one explanation as to uh, the drop in response rates to mm-hmm. the American Community Survey, especially in lo- especially in lower income households who, who may have less resources as far as time to respond to longer surveys. Hmm. And then, of course, any one of those additional 40 questions on the ACS may cause somebody not to respond as opposed to just the citizenship question itself. Hmm. And then lastly, I'll point out the census involves a lot more outreach uh, to get people to respond than the ACS, and that outreach may be more effective in certain communities uh, than in others, which may also cause a decrease in response rates. There could be many other reasons uh, why. So assuming that the citizenship question alone is the reason for a decrease in response rates is um, irresponsible. Huh. So we've been getting into sort of the nitty gritty of the factual issues, and there's a ton of facts and procedure in the case, but I wanted to sort of maybe zoom out for a second and ask if maybe there's a possibility where the Supreme Court doesn't even really touch all of this stuff and whether we're going to see in some ways maybe a, a sequel to the travel ban in the sense where, you know, last term the majority of the court basically said that it's a decision that is one that gets large deference when it comes to an executive making a decision. Do you think that we might be sort of headed for a similar decision this term in terms of perhaps a majority of the court poised to say, you know, this is just a decision that the administration gets to make and we don't get to sort of delve into its its reasoning? 
it, it's hard to know exactly what the court will do, but I, I will say that's a strong possibility because the government makes strong arguments as to why the, why the merits questions shouldn't be reached. So they make two. One, which you've alluded to, which is that the census, uh, the content says the census question is in a question that is committed to agency discretion by law, and so the courts shouldn't interfere with that discretion. Essentially, Congress, by the Constitution, uh, has been given discretion to conduct the census in a manner uh, as such that Congress shall direct, uh, more or less what the Constitution says. And then Congress has further delegated that discretion to the Secretary of Commerce. And so uh, if that really wide-ranging discretion is given to the Secretary of Commerce, it's unclear that the courts uh, have the ability to uh, question how that discretion has been exercised. The second way that they could um, uh, avoid a decision on the merits is a, a standing question. Um, so essentially, the standing in this case is based upon the assumption that people will choose to uh, not respond to the census mm-hmm. because of the citizenship question. But those choices are first choices that are made by third parties. But beyond that, there are choices that are illegal. And so essentially, people are basing their standing on the assumption that third parties will take illegal actions in response to the citizenship question. And that that question of standing may be quite important because it may result uh, in uh, future exposure for the government, uh, both state and federal governments, on uh, what liability might arise from third party illegal acts. So, for example, if, you know, uh, the, the government decides to release somebody on parole, uh, you know, could somebody bring a lawsuit against that release because they speculate that that person who's moved into a community might now commit a crime against them? Uh, that sort of issue of standing may be something that the Supreme Court does not want to uh, open up. So I have a follow up question sort of along those lines. And when it comes to the fact uh, that you point out, which is that, you know, the government is not allowed to take illegal actions with this information that they get about people potentially not being citizens. I mean, it's sort of in a situation and Kimberly and I were talking about this earlier in the podcast, perhaps from a non-citizen's point of view, you're looking at a situation where perhaps from your view of the government's conduct recently, it's one that's not good towards immigrant communities. And so you're asking these people essentially to trust a government that perhaps it feels it has good reason not to. And so I'm wondering if that perhaps cuts against the point of kind of trusting the government to do the, the right thing here. I'm just wondering your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's hard to separate out, uh, assuming, you know, those sort of fear allegations are true, how much the citizenship question will actually affect that, right? I mean, if minority communities are being told uh, by, you know, people in their community, by stakeholders that, hey, if somebody comes to your door and knocks, you shouldn't answer and you should demand a warrant, uh, that's going to pose a problem for Mm -hmm. census takers, whether or not the citizenship question is included. All right. Well, thanks so much for sharing your perspective on that and giving us a a preview of what we might see at at the argument. And thanks for coming on Cases and Controversies. Absolutely. Pleasure. Well, that was a great conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I like that discussion of, you know, the travel ban. I keep thinking about how these two cases seem to just really map onto each other in, in other ways that uh, Mithin discussed, but also, you know, just this idea of like bad motives behind the adoption of these policies right. and, you know, what courts can do to kind of police those bad motives or, or should do to police um, those bad motives that are being alleged. So eager to see, you know, if that comes up at all. Yeah, it could be the, the blockbuster case of the term decided sort of along the same lines, two terms in a row.
Yeah, we'll see. Okay. I think we hit on everything. I think that was a good deep dive. I think our listeners are ready for the arguments. Yeah. And they're probably ready for us to be for this podcast to yeah. be over. Okay, great. Okay, and be sure to tune in to our next episode, which is going to be a sneak peek for the first week of the April sitting, which is April 15th. So we'll have our next sneak peek for you out uh, in that day. I wasn't listening to you. I was texting, but I'm sure all that was correct. Okay, thanks for listening. See ya.